Please take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, our text beginning this morning begins in verse 13 and extends to the end of chapter 10. I've mentioned as we've been working our way through this, this book that, that the thought sections don't always line up with our chapter sections uh, in our Bibles, and that's particularly the case this morning. Um, the preacher, Koholith, is the Hebrew word that we saw at the very beginning of this book. Um, the preacher is trying to show us what wisdom looks like, and, and like other wisdom books in the Old Testament, whether Job or Proverbs or uh, even Song of Songs to a degree, the, one of the ways to understand wisdom is to see its opposite. Uh, wisdom's opposite is ultimately folly. And so what the preacher is doing here this morning is giving us a picture of folly or what the fool looks like, what a foolish, stupid life consists in. Uh, ultimately, as he's been teaching us about wisdom, part of wisdom is seeing life or seeing reality as it actually is, not as we wish it would be. But for the fool, the fool does not want to see life as it actually is. He really wants to see life as he wishes it were. The preacher wants to help us. All too often we live as fools. Uh, he wants to show us ourselves ultimately so that we might run to the one who is God only wise, our Lord Jesus Christ. But for that to happen for us this morning, in this, as we come to this passage, we, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. So let's ask him for his help. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do come as your people this morning, desiring your help. Uh, we confess that it is so difficult for us to see ourselves in reality as it actually is. Lord, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and that you would open our eyes of faith this morning, that we would see glorious riches in this portion of your gospel. Lord, grant us eyes to see not just ourselves, but you as the one who has mercy on fools like us. Grant us this grace, Lord, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ecclesiastes chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard and quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. When the fool, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. He says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness 
will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the, wor- of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your, child, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, and some winged creature tell the matter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So to understand the importance of what the preacher is saying in our text this morning, we we have to understand this biblical category that he is using, the biblical category of the fool or folly or foolishness. The fool in the Bible is is one who ultimately is is not dumb or unintelligent. Um, In fact, some of the most intelligent people we might come across in our lives or we see in the world have been, are, or will be fools. I think that's what the, the author Walker Piercy is getting at uh, when he once observed that it's possible to get the a get a's on every test and still fail life we can be intelligent we can get a's on the tasks but we can live as fools we can fail life the fool like the description percy offers is the one who fails life because he's driven by natural appetites and so as a result fails to exercise discernment fails to exercise discretion in fact foolish behavior is often the result of undisciplined or unreasonable ways of living as we pursue what we want so much that we end up becoming kind of stupid in the classical sense of that word we walk about in a stupor we're led about to our destruction by our desires and so the human problem that the preacher is describing here is is deeper than simply living for a fling of folly 
um, pursuing stupidity every now and then. We think about that as people head off to college. You know, they sow their wild oats. They get loose every once in a while. No, that, the human problem is actually deeper than that. What the preacher is trying to tell us is that most of us actually live the lives of fools. We live driven by our natural appetites, driven by what we want, when we want it. And the result is that we fail to exercise discernment. We fail to exercise discretion. We live in a kind of stupor. And when, if we're not careful, these very desires that we pursue in an undisciplined fashion, they will ultimately destroy us. That's what he's warning us of. That's the opposite of the wisdom that God offers. It's, it's the foolish, stupid life. There are, there are three areas in which the preacher this morning is, is describing for us what a fool looks like or what a foolish life looks like. Three areas. He's going to talk about a fool's work, a fool's way, and a fool's words. First then this morning, a fool's work. And, and the way that the preacher gets at the, the, the work of a fool is by telling us a story right at the beginning of this passage. You may want to look at it again. It's chapter 9, verse 13. The preacher says, I, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun. And it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised, his words are not heard. The words of the wise, heard and quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Now, on the surface, this is a story about wisdom. An army comes and besieges the city. Uh, the city's king doesn't really know what to do, but there's one man in the midst of the city who actually knows. He is a poor, wise man. And he delivers the city through his wisdom. And, and what you would expect to happen is for the city to gather and to give great huzzas to this poor man. Hooray to the poor man. Hooray to the wise man. That's what happens, right? No. That's not what happens at all. What happens instead? No one remembered that poor man. The poor man's wisdom was despised. His words were not heard. Why was he not heard? Because of the shouting of a ruler among fools. So what's the lesson from the story? Wisdom can't overcome folly. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner or one fool destroys much good. So here's the work of a fool. By his loud boasting, by his manipulative words and promises, he destroys the work of the wise. Indeed, the reality is, is that a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. That's what chapter 10 verse 1 tells you. And, and the preacher wants you to feel it, or perhaps better, smell the effects of folly. He actually says, chapter 10 verse 1, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. 
What's the picture? Well, the picture is of a, a flies around a dead body. And as that dead body is decaying, uh, the, the mortician comes to try to cover up the stench. But, but his perfumer's art of applying ointment and spices can't cover the stench of death. And in the same way, wisdom, no matter all of its art, not, no matter all that it, it might offer, can't overcome the deadly smell of folly. Folly's work is to destroy the fool and those who follow him. The fool's work is, is such that he's always out of step. He's always going on his own way. The fool is always boasting in his foolishness. And especially if, if the fool is a ruler, it, it makes the need for wise and calm men even more needful, not to prevent folly from having its full work, but just to prevent the, the people being destroyed. Such is the work of the fool. He overwhelms the work of the wise. He walks to the beat of his own drum with disastrous effects to all who follow him. But the preacher not only shows us in this picture of the fool, the fool's work, he also shows us the fool's ways. How does the fool deal with others? What are the, the ways in which he engages life in this world? Well, the preacher tells us that the, that the fool's folly is, is demonstrated in the way he does promotions, the way that he promotes others. Look at what he says in verse 5. He says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Now, many of you have undoubtedly heard of the so-called Peter Principle, it was first articulated in 1969 by a man named Lawrence Peter. It goes like this. In a hierarchy, every employee tends to rise to the level of his own incompetence. And there's a corollary to the Peter principle that goes like this. In time, every post tends to be occupied by an employee who is incompetent to carry out their duties. Most work, then, is accomplished by those employees who have not yet reached their level of incompetence. Well, how's that the case? Why, why is it that we've all too often found the Peter principle to be true? Well, it's what the preacher's saying here. Fools tend to promote other fools. They tend to promote their friends, those who are their allies, those who are close to them, but who are ultimately incompetent for the tasks before them whether in nonprofits, whether in corporations, whether in our government, the result of the fool's way in promoting their friends who themselves are foolish has wide ramifications for all those who work there or serve there. But the fool's ways are seen not just in the way he does promotions, but in the way he fails to take precaution. I think that's what verses 8 to 11 are getting at. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them. He who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent binds before its charm, there is no advantage to the charmer. What's this about? Well, I think it's about the fact that the fool 
fails to take appropriate precautions. And so if, if he's digging a pit, he doesn't take precautions to keep him from falling into it. If he demolishes a wall, he doesn't take the appropriate precautions to keep it from falling on him. If he tries to cut down a tree, he doesn't take the precaution of sharpening the, the edge of his axe so that he can cut it down and save his strength. If he, if he tries to manage a cobra, he fails to ensure that the cobra is actually charmed. By, by failing to look ahead, by failing to take appropriate precautions, the fool demonstrates his unreasonable and undisciplined approach to life. He will have what he has, wants, when he, when he wants it. Without thinking through the ramifications, without thinking about how his actions might affect himself, much less affect others. Well, the problem, of course, is, is when the fool lives life this way, when this is his way, he promotes his friends who are foolish, he fails to take precautions, other people get hurt. Not only is the fool himself hurt, but other people get hurt along the way. But in drawing this picture of the fool for us, the preacher shows us the fool's work and the fool's way, but he also shows us a fool's words. And, and for most of us, this is where we feel most foolish, isn't it? This is where we feel at times most stupid. We, we identify with the fool in the way he uses his words. Notice in verse 12, the, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words. Though no man knows what it is to be and who can tell him what will be after him, the toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Notice the way the preacher talks about how a fool uses his words. First, the, the fool's words, they devour him. The, the language here suggests that, that words, his words will bring him into judgment. In contrast with the way a wise person uses his words, right? A, the, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. They are gracious words and they win grace for him. The words of a fool ultimately bring him judgment. They lead him to some measure of destruction. But further, the, the words of a fool, they display madness. It's verse 13. There are times in which uh, the fool's words display a kind of irrationality, a kind of bitterness. People around him wonder if he's lost his grip on reality. And moreover, these words are multiplied, multiplied without end in the face of uncertainty. Uh, when the future is unknown, all the fool has is his words, so he, he doesn't stop talking. He, he continues to make boastful, arrogant predictions about the future. And in fact, he talks so much, he toils in his talking, he, he begins to walk about in a kind of stupor. He doesn't know his way back home. And above all, our foolish words, the words of a fool, uh, they can come back to haunt us. That's how the section ends in verse 20. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. After talking about the foolish behavior of, of the king and his court, the king and the rich, 
Now, that doesn't mean we should be overly critical using our own words in a foolish fashion. Why? Well, it's because our own curses, our own foolish words will be heard by those in power. A little birdie will tell them, right? I mean, we've used that expression. Oh, How do you know that? Well, a little birdie told me. Well, where's that come? It comes from right here in Ecclesiastes 10.20. When we use our words foolishly, especially around others, when we malign others, when we slander others, inevitably it gets back to the other individual. Why? It's because we've used our words foolishly and they come back to haunt us. And so the the preacher here has drawn a picture for us of what a fool looks like in his his work, his ways, and his words. And the picture presented is really one of a foolish, stupid life. It's it's one that not only can't satisfy, it's, it's ultimately one that leaves us liable to destruction. There's actually a picture of such an individual in the Bible. In 1 Samuel 25, there was a, a character in that chapter whose name is Nabal, which is the Hebrew word for fool. Now, the Bible is using Nabal to picture for us exactly what the fool's works, ways, and words look like. If, if you remember 1 Samuel 25, David is, has already fled from Saul He has gathered a number of men around him as they are trying to hide from Saul. One of the things they do is they actually protect Nabal's flocks. Um, Each night as the shepherds lay down with their sheep, unknown to them, David's men form a perimeter around them to protect them. Their supplies are running out, and so David sends his men to Nabal to ask him for food. And Nabal's response to that request is the response of a fool. It's it's harsh. It's critical. This is what he says. Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I don't know where? David was furious with this response. And he was prepared to kill this foolish man, this Nabal, if it weren't for the gracious Abigail, Nabal's wife. She intervenes. She uses her words well. She has wise actions that prevent David from from attacking this man. But, But Nabal's response perfectly illustrates what a fool does. Harsh, foolish words. Critical rebukes. Failures to take precautions, loud boastings against poor wise men who had protected them all along. Now, as I was reviewing this message over the last couple of days, I have to confess my, my mind, my heart went to other places, other examples within our culture and other places where you can say, oh, well, there's a fool or there's a fool or that's an individual that looks foolish, but But what the Holy Spirit really wants to do for us today is not to to identify the fools out there, but to consider whether there might be a fool right here in our own hearts and lives. Because the fact of the matter is there have been times that you and I have been foolish. You, You and I have acted in ways we've done fool's work or fool's ways or used our words in foolish fashions. It could be that for you... 
uh, a mark of your foolish life is when you made an investment without doing the appropriate due diligence, but simply because the individual was a friend. You, you went ahead and invested your money and it was a risky endeavor or when you've promoted friends or chosen officers because they were your friends. They weren't necessarily good employees. They weren't necessarily godly men. They were simply your friends and because they were your friends, you decided to, to try to promote them in some form or fashion. Or perhaps you've made some bold prediction, some rash prediction about the future that doesn't really match up to reality, but this is the way you view reality. And so you've made a number of decisions based upon that, upon those predictions that you've made. Or maybe you've dominated a, a dinner party or multiple dinner parties with your verbose or crude or foolish talk. Or maybe it's when you've, you seized center stage and you claimed credit for someone else, for what someone else did, and you acted as though you did it when really that was someone else. All of these examples and others beside demonstrate that we've lived in foolish ways, that we too are fools, and sometimes we become stupid and obtuse and unable to, to live rightly and to do the things that, that we know we ought to do. We don't see reality as it actually is. We, like the fool, we, we ultimately want reality to bend to our perception of it. In those moments of honesty with ourselves, we know this about ourselves. And the question then becomes, how, how is it that a fool can find wisdom? Well, our French theologian pastor friend named John Calvin helps us, I think. Right at the beginning of his book, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, he wrote, nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists in two parts, the knowledge of God, and the knowledge of ourselves. And I think that quote is reflecting what the preacher is telling us here. The first thing he's trying to say is even a fool can gain wisdom when we begin to understand ourselves. When we see how foolish we are, there's actually hope for us. Because folly it consists in self-worship. It's the idolatry of pursuing our own way our own words, our own works, without any thought of God whatsoever. The psalmist says in Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool there in Psalm 14 isn't simply an atheist, someone who's making intellectual arguments about the non-existence of God. No, the fool is someone for whom God doesn't mean anything in day-to-day -day life. The fool is the one who lives as the practical atheist, who professes a belief in God even. Yes, I believe God exists. Yes, I, I believe that he governs all his creatures and all their actions. But in, in their day-to-day -day lives, the fool doesn't account for God at all. They're simply focused on their own works and ways and words. That's, that's why God arraigned Israel just along these lines at the beginning of, of Isaiah's book in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 3. The ox knows his owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Don't know what? Don't understand what? That God is the one who governs their lives. God is the one who's engaged with each of us on a, in a day-to-day -day fashion, but we don't acknowledge him. We live as 
fools. And so part of wisdom is coming to see this reality about us. That all too often we live as kind of practical atheists. Saying in our hearts there is no God. Not perhaps verbally. But in the way we go about our work and ways and words. But the second thing that the preacher I think is trying to tell us. Is that even a fool can gain wisdom. When we know the one in whom true wisdom is found. Throughout the wisdom literature from Job through Song of Songs, the message that comes again and again is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But if that's the case, then wisdom ultimately starts with running to the only one who has wisdom, coming again and again and again to this God who alone is wise. And yet the good news of the gospel is that God doesn't wait for us to run to him. No, the good news of the gospel is that God actually chooses to save foolish people from themselves. He actually moves towards us over and over and over again to rescue us from our folly. I think that's part of what the Apostle Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians 1 when he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, or better, things that are nothings, to bring to nothing the, the things that are somethings. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Do you hear what Paul's saying? The good news for you and me this morning isn't necessarily even that we are the ones who can lift ourselves up by our own bootstraps and stop being so foolish, discipline ourselves, and run after Jesus Christ. Now, the good news for you and me this morning is that God is the one who chose to save you, chose to pursue you in your folly, in your foolishness, to rescue you from you. And indeed, in his grace, has united you to Jesus Christ so that God looks at you in Jesus and doesn't see a fool, but sees one who is wise because Christ has become for you the wisdom of God. That's good news, my friends. That's such good news. No longer do we need to lead foolish, stupid lives in our way, works and ways and words. We can go to the one who's already come to us in Jesus Christ and say, Lord Jesus, friend of foolish sinners like me, rescue me. I receive you. Thank you for your grace. Hallelujah. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we do bless you that you are, in fact, a friend for sinners like us. Foolish, foolish men and women. And yet, you save us from ourselves. You save us from our folly. And you are not only for us, wisdom, but because you've united us to Christ, you see us as the wisdom of God. 
as those who have been redeemed, made righteous, made holy. And so, Lord Jesus, we come this morning to sing hallelujah, but also to receive you yet again for, the, for some of us the 10,000th time as the very wisdom of God. Lord, we rest our hearts in you. We rely upon you. We, we, we delight in you, and we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Indeed, let's take...